correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here tonight with my good buddy Steve. Hi, Steve. Hey, how's you? Oh, doing all right, you know, getting everything going with this streaming stuff. Streaming stuff? Yeah. Where are we streaming? We are streaming at DM it Steve, D M I T Steve on Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's funny because you know what our old crew used to call me. Yep. I thought it was thematic. <laughs> there you go. Well, we're still getting all the bugs sorted out and everything. So if anyone actually finds us and watches this, I'll be mildly surprised. I did post it in chat. Uh, oh. oh. My there girlfriend might be watching. Like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you, if you really, really want to, you can probably at some point go find our ugly mugs on TV or yeah. phone or computer or whatever you want wherever, to find us yes. on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the goal. Sort of a test run, but um, you know, hey, trying it out. Try it out. See what happens. You broke it and unbroke it once already. So yeah, you know that happens. It's because my computer's old, but reliable <laughs> all right so um well are we gonna do our d20 network spotlight this week steve yeah so our d20 network spotlight is who <laughs> stagger dragon oh stag drag love those guys yes yes oh they're great fun they're kind of hit and miss as to when they release but it's always entertaining and I know we talk about this every time we mention them, but they did that G.I. Joe actual play a while back that was absolutely hysterical. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Just great. Yeah. You know, they, they, they the two actual plays they've got up are G, the G.I. Joe game, which they did in Genesis, and they have a Star Wars actual play up. But there's also some, like, pop culture discussion stuff about, you know, like, movies, comic books, and Star Wars, and Marvel, and... Yeah, it's, it's all good stuff. It's, it's very entertaining, but like I said, they are a little hit or miss on their release schedule, but can understand that because life is hectic. Yeah, yeah, we, well, you know, you've been through it recently. Yeah. I had to bring well, on the honorary, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it doesn't help, like, okay, now that I have the, the project that was really taking me, my time up, then mostly knocked out, I've also got to try and resolve vehicle issues and in case you're not from the United States and possibly the same way everywhere, the used vehicle market is through the fricking roof right now. It's ridiculous. It's unreal. Yeah. Like if you can even find something, chances are it's at like three times the value it was two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, it's a mess. It's a yeah. mess. Like I think the, the one guy I work with told me he drives a, I guess, Korean mid-sized SUV that he bought used a couple years ago. He said it's market value right now, according to some site he was on, is higher than its sticker new. Oh, that doesn't shock me. Now, my my, uh, my mom's a banker, and she was saying about that it's unreal how crazy these, these markets are. And by the way, 
folks. Um, it is not our intention to shift to streaming as kind of our primary thing. It's more just something we're going to do, or at least as we've talked about it thus far, we're not intending to shift to primarily streaming. We're just going to do that in addition. We'll still put out, you know, the edited podcast feed. Yeah, the 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 highly edited and very cleaned up version of this podcast is the best way to consume it. Uh, the stream is just for the people that enjoy watching us watching things. And um, yeah, everything else is everything else, really. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if, if you're used to hearing us on the podcast, that's not going to change. No, the only difference is, is if you're watching the stream, you might get to see the bits that don't make it to the show. <laughs> and the ones that I just chop out because I don't need more, you know, weird noises at the end of the show. All the bits of like us just, the other thing is, is that the stream is unedited, uh, which means that you might get an occasional hell or damn. Those, I say those all the time on the podcast. Well, yeah, but I mean, you might get Huli saying once in a while. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. We might, we might, uh, Run into the list of uh, of the seven dirty words or whatever it is. Whatever it is at this point. Yeah. Um, who really knows? But anyway, uh, so with all that and uh, so on and so forth, what are we going to uh, riff on and tangent off of tonight, Steve? Well, I was thinking we would talk about something. So um, Matthew Mercer and um, uh, what is his name? Is this what you were talking to me about the other day? Yeah. Um, Br- uh, Brandon Mulligan. Yes, Brandon Lee Mulligan. We're talking on a different podcast about how they have difficulty using basically basically rewriting modules to use in their own stories. And I thought that might be a good topic for us because it's not something that I have super extensive extensive uh, experience in, but I do have a little bit, and we, we both sort of have a little bit of experience well, using pre-written I, stuff. And I think... I think in a way it, it fits what we do in a lot of ways, right? Because we talk about using different systems for stuff and playing a lot of different systems and et cetera. And yeah, no, I think it's, it's an interesting, and I think I did actually end up, I found an episode of a podcast with Brandon Lee Mulligan and Matt Mercer. And I actually watched it because I found it on YouTube. Well, watched, listened, potato, potato, whatever. And I think they were talking largely about world building, or at least that's the only long form bit I could find. But I think it's, I think it's something people actually probably stress out way more than they need to over. And well, like kind of like you said, I don't have the most experience actually like doing it and getting it done. I've spent a heck of a lot of time thinking about it. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. How many times have we sat there and gone, oh, I want to use this or I want to do that or I want to work on this or you know, we, we've played in games and have games and run games that are all like settings based off of X or settings based off of Y. Both of us really enjoy the new Aberon supplement for D&D. And it's very much like, here's the world. Here's how to tell a story in that world. And good luck. Well, Eberron and, and, you know, having listened to a bunch of... Um... I'm blanking on the name of the show that he does right now, but the podcast that Keith does uh, with Wayne Chang and mm-hmm. Imogen, wow, I can't remember her last name, but uh, you do a podcast that's all Eberron based. And Keith, every time I've ever heard him talk about it, is very, very 
Let me see. He's very insistent that it's your Eberron or his Eberron, whatever, you know, and that the Eberron that you're playing in is the property of you and your table. It doesn't have to match his vision of it or your neighbor's version vision of it or anyone else's. And I think that's, that's one thing to kind of keep in mind. And I think this touches into what we were talking about with like Star Wars and Forgotten Realms and the last, well, two and three episodes ago, you know, where it's like, look, this is the world I'm running in. My canon may be slightly different than official canon, maybe slightly different than your canon. Right. And I think maybe that's where you, you really start when you're looking to, to take something and port it into a different system. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think the first step is the first step is to understand the material that you're trying to convert. Yeah. Well, that's, and the other thing, and, and I, go ahead. No, sorry. I, I, I don't mean like maybe that didn't come across the way I wanted it to. The first step in really understanding how to incorporate that material into your game, which is at the base, what they were really talking about. And what I wanted to get into was they were talking about how to add in pre-written material into a game that you're already running while keeping true to the pre-written material, but not, you know, betraying your pre- your canon. It's it's complicated. I know. It's a really complex idea. See, I, I'm just going to say that in my mind, that's trying to do things the hard way. Yes, I agree. <laughs> because to me, well, okay, here's, I think this would be my biggest point on this. And, and I think maybe this is, I don't know if it's the key to it all. You tell me what you think. But the first thing you need to remember is there is no system to a story. Mm-hmm. And, and by that, I mean the story itself shouldn't be dependent on any specific game system. Yes, I agree. Like, you know, now, but mild tangent here, but you know, my opinions on Eberron and porting it to other systems, things have to work right. But in that's because to me, it's not that it has to be D and D, but that one of the premises behind the design was that magic behaves in predictable, almost scientific ways. And so you, to, have the world function as it was designed the game system you're playing in has to facilitate that core tenant yes but also well yes and and yes yes i agree with you that mechanically dungeons and dragons supports the idea that magic is a science because of how magic is cast in dungeons and dragons right because of how spells work, because of how checks work, all of that works in in conjunction to make that feel like it's a science. I agree with you on that. I think something that we could, you know, there's, there's other systems out there that you could run that in and it not feel wrong. It's just a different, different way of doing it. You know what I mean? And some of that's fluff. Um, in, in Genesis, I, let me point to this Genesis, uh, people want to run Aberon in Genesis. And I don't think that's a very, I don't know. I, I mean, everybody on here has heard my qualms with Genesis and magic. Uh, and I understand that there is a very complex and, and well thought out magic system in Genesis, but I don't think Genesis does that well, if that makes sense, at least for me, for my personal taste and how I like to imagine magic because at the end of the day these are freaking games that we play pretend with right 
and and my way of playing pretend and how Genesis wants you to do magic, it just doesn't add up. Well, see, I would, for me, I would take it a step in maybe a different direction in that I don't necessarily have a problem with the way Genesis does magic. However, I don't think it meshes with the, you know, again, as Keith has stated over and over again, the core tenant, one of the core tenants of Eberron being that magic can be treated as a science. It's very predictable. In Genesis, it's not. You have to roll to see if each spell is successfully cast, not in a save or a hit roll like you do in D&D. Genesis magic is, much like everything in Genesis, is is a little bit more random than, I mean, you, not more, I don't want to say more more dramatic. Yeah, yeah, that's it. More dramatic. And like I said, I don't think it's bad. It just doesn't fit how they use magic in the world of Eberron as the world has been created. Now, if you don't want to do that, hey, knock yourself out. Right. You know, I mean, if you have fun with it, do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. However you have fun with games is the right way to have fun with games. I, I Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where my brain's at right now. Lost my train of thought. Yeah, well, we were talking about magic and, and how story doesn't have a system. Right. But sometimes, sometimes setting maybe more time. Yeah. Or how do I want to say this? Um, core tenants of settings indicate certain systems over other ones, perhaps. Right. But I don't think that, you know, if you want to run a, you know, module X, I don't think that that's necessarily tied to a specific setting either. Like you can say, oh, it has this, 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 and whatever. Well, there's a couple ways you can do it. One, you know, you can just say, hey, this stuff exists in the world that we're playing in. You know, um, over on the Eberron Renewed Discord, which is another show here on D20 Network, there's been, and I haven't been real active over on their Discord in quite a while, but there used to be fairly often be conversations about, well, hey, what if you wanted to run you know, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden or Ghost of Saltmarsh in Eberron, you know, where would you set them? You know, well, so, you know, Ghost of Saltmarsh, you probably go up to the Lazar Principalities, maybe down into Zendrick, but not Zendrick so much as Stormreach, but anyway. Um, but I think it's, for me anyway, I think where I start is, is I figure out what the core of the story that the module is trying to tell is, and then figure out where that fits in my world. Right. Or how I can mesh that and mash that up with the three other things or two other things or, you know, one other thing that I want to mash it up with. Yeah, no, it, it, it makes sense. I think one of the things that that I do is before I introduce any sort of pre-existing module or pre-existing anything, I will try to um, I'll try to make sure that that I make it mine. Right. Mm-hmm. it's sometimes it gets a little bit and I started to get into this a little bit ago, but I think we started on the wrong place. But I, I think sometimes it gets a little bit confusing when people are looking at stuff and going, Oh, I, I want to do this or I want to do that or I want to try this. And it's not, you didn't put any effort to make it yours, right? You just took a module that was pre-written and threw it into your world so it feels out of place it feels wrong it feels like a, somebody else wrote this part of the story 
It's like when you have a guest writer come onto a TV show, you're like, this episode feels weird. Mm -hmm. And taking something that is a pre-written module and just, it's as simple as rewording it into your own words and, and telling the story differently. Right. It's just, it's, it's not, it's not this super complicated thing that it doesn't have to be super complicated. It's just putting your twist on something, telling it the way that you would tell it. Right. The reason you're attracted to a pre-written module is because you liked something about it. Obviously that has some kind of beat that you could add to your story that you personally like that you were already, you know, maybe unconsciously going to add something along those lines. Does that make sense? Kind of. Yeah. Um, I know it's, con- I, I, I'm, I'm not making a lot of sense today. It's, it's a very difficult episode for me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, but it's a weird topic and I get what you're saying about, but the other thing too, is some of this depends on what it is you're trying to, to port, right? Like, if we're talking about D and D and, and, you know, classic fantasy, if you're literally porting, you know, the tomb of the forgotten Kings or, you know, whatever assorted dungeon, well, you just have to put that somewhere where it sort of semi-logically makes sense to be in your world. And then it's there. But if you've got more of a story to it, as opposed to it just being this, you know, dungeon to go explore or whatever, then yeah, I think you do have to, like you said, you know, blend it, you know, massage it a little bit and, and make it, you, you have know, to make it, make yours. it fit. Yeah. You, but at the same point, I'm not going to say you're wrong if you don't, because again, if you're having fun, your table's having fun, who cares? And look, there are tables that, that play almost exclusively pre-written material and that's not wrong. Yeah, no, I, I'm not saying that's wrong and I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong by doing that. I, I just, for me personally, that's what the, that's the steps that need to be taken in order to run pre-written material. No, I I think you're right. You know, even going back to when we talked with with Tom from Shared Sagas about it, yeah. You know, first thing is understand it and then figure out how to make it fit your table. Well, yeah, I I, I think that's another big thing is that yeah, understanding what understanding what's what and then making it fit your table is is two different interesting things yeah and i'll I'll say this to see two to see two professional and and i say professional as in that's what they do for a living two professional gms struggle with it it doesn't shock me at all that we're having a hard time sort of having this conversation because we struggle with it too it's it's a conversation to be had yeah Um, well i think like you said though the, the thing is i think there's the there's the line and especially, I think, and maybe this actually plays in more for people like Matt Mulligan, or yeah, Matt Mulligan, Brandon Mulligan and Matt Mercer, because so many of their games are done in public formats, where is the line between, as a performer, you feel a duty to provide original entertainment, and you want to use this thing because you think it's cool, and then if you do that... You know, how much credit, how much homage, how much whatever do you then pay to the original creator? Right. Yeah. And and that's another thing. If you're and I really I I I can understand why that's another level of complexity, especially for them, because you do need to give 
I, unless you're, I don't want to say it. How do I say it? <laughs> unless you're, you're, di- <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to find the word I want to use. You want to give credit to the creator because credit is due to them. They did the work prior to you coming in and you need to make sure that you take the steps to give them the credit that they deserve. You can say, and this has been my complaint with, with especially critical role is they don't give credit to games that aren't D and D right. They've run hacks of, of mothership and other games where they're just like, well, yeah, we're playing so-and-so's, you know, homebrew. Well, it's not a homebrew because you started with mothership, right? Mm Hmm. It's it yes, it is a homebrew story, but it's not a homebrew because you started with a set you started with a, a with a system system. That's the word. You started with a system and you changed not too much about the system, but you added story beats. In my mind, almost every RPG I've ever read, aside from a handful, are built in a way so that you can tell you as the GM can tell your story and the players can tell their story and you can have a fun time collaborating on that. Mm -hmm. There are a few games that are either solo or GM less or whatever that tell a story and they're specifically tied to that, but you're not, you, I hate the term homebrew for making your own campaign, but you kept the rules of the system the same. In my mind, homebrew only applies when you're actually changing rules of the system. Well, I think... And, and that's, you know, just my opinion. No, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think it's a weird thing, though, because... And, and and don't get me wrong. I agree with you in that, like, it would have been nice to see them credit Mothership as, as you know, that was... And I actually haven't watched that, but, the, you know, that game that we're talking about, but that it was derived from, you know, Mothership and, and so on and so forth. But... I think some of it is, it's just, it's a courtesy if it's nothing else is to say, Hey, we thought this game was cool. Yeah. we may not be using their rules a hundred percent, but that's the framework we're working off of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's the big thing is it's just being like, Hey, we thought this was cool. So we used it. So yeah, yeah I, I, I don't, that, that sort of has perplexed me for a while now. It's like, I get that you're, I get that the story is yours and it's not something that came out of a book, but at the same time, I don't know. You're using a rule set, right? A creator had to work on that rule set and, you know, or a group of people, I should say, actually had to work on that rule set. Yeah. And I mean, look, you get it, you know, if you want to get into the legal side, technically most actual plays violate copyright laws. Um, in, in an extremely technical, or, or in potentially, potentially, they can. It, it depends on it. It's system to system and company to company because stuff like the open gaming license exists, which doesn't just apply to creation, but it also applies to streaming and playing and doing that whole thing. Well, it's it's kind of like with music. Okay, right. If you play the song, you bought the CD, you play the song in your house. That's fine. If you're playing it in a business, I think technically the artist can demand rights for that. I'm not a hundred percent sure how that works, but like, I know, I know with television, it depends on the number of viewers. Yeah. Well, again, it, we're getting into specifics of laws that probably 
neither of us really neither of us know and in many cases they're extremely vague i know i did a little bit of research into it when we were first setting up the show as to like what we could use for intro music etc and found out that there are laws around it but no one even if you know what they are sometimes you still get tripped up and it's it's complicated mess but where i was going with it is that you know if like radio stations have to pay for a license to be able to play the songs over the air however like if you play in a bar band and you play cover tunes no one really cares because in a way it's actually free publicity for the original artist that also gets into some weird there's a couple other things with that because you did a little bit of research on it. I did a research on it a long time ago. You get into some fair use stuff, which is, is it being transformative? What is transformative? What does that mean? Yeah. And, and once something becomes transformative, you know, once it's, it's (laughs) once it's defined and is becoming transformative, you know, then you're sort of in that fair use territory of you've changed the work enough that it, you don't, you know, lo- they no longer have a right to it, basically. Yeah. Or they aren't owed anything from it. Let's right. Put it that way. They, they, it's not that they don't have a right to it. They aren't owed anything from your version of that work. Right. And I, I, I'm absolutely saying that I could have that all wrong and it could have changed. But I know from about 10 years ago when I started looking into starting like YouTube stuff, it was like, if you're going to do this, you got to make sure that it's you know, you talk and you're doing this and you're doing that. You're not just doing, you know, uploading full on basically videos of video games um, without any words. <laughs> yeah, it, it's incredibly complex, really. It and is. Then... It is very complex. And I wonder if, well, what I was going to say is I wonder if some of that hesitation around, um wonder if some of the, the hesitation around big companies going after streamers is because they're worried that the streamers can argue that their work is transformative of the original product. Well, that's possible. I think more likely the case is, is that it's also free publicity. It's free free publicity. Like, you know, in the case of video games, you're, you're watching some video stream on Twitch. Oh, that game looks cool. I'm going to go buy that. Right. Well, so, so, you know, Joe Bob 72's stream of whatever game sold them five copies. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like and obviously I'm making everything up, but No, I, I understand what you're saying. I think um yeah, like I said, I think with, with RPGs especially because the and I'll I'll say this, it's a huge it's a huge community, but outside of D and D we're smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Right. And to be fair, mothership, you know, that was before they launched the big Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Look, I mean, the people who knew <laughs> I can get gra- I can get grouchy about it, but the fact of the matter is is that yeah, whatever, I could log into Joe Bob's stream and Joe Bob could not be shouting out mothership and be playing a hack of it and it's whatever. Like it's just, it's the same difference. I think it's a courtesy more than anything. I think it's a courtesy and I think it's a courtesy thing. I I I know and I don't mean to sound like I don't mean to sound like the little dog picking at the big heels, but man you're that big you you could take the two seconds to be like this is a hack of mothership and throw a drive through link with an affiliate link there's a link to dr- mothership you know what i mean yeah right like it's it's not i don't know i i guess maybe it's a difference in 
it's a difference in how I view it's a difference in how I view game creation and maybe how they view game creation, right? Maybe. Yeah. It well because well, and, and I think maybe some of that comes from the fact that we've had conversations with game creators, we've had conversations with writers, artists, people like Gav Caroga or Miguel or Chris Spivey or, you know, any of them. I wonder too, and and this specifically in the case of Critical Role, where these are entertainment industry professionals. Mm-hmm. Do they have a different take on it because they make their living reading lines and performing? I wonder that too. I wonder, yeah. And and are they, and, and look, you know, in the case of Critical Role, they have staff behind the scenes and oh, yeah. they make sure they cross their I's and dot their T's, I'm sure. So I, I don't think we're trying to say they did anything illegal. It's just that maybe they could have been more supportive of the community as a whole. Yeah, and I, I think that's interesting. I, 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 I don't know. I think it's interesting how... I I'll, I'll, I just want to talk about this a little bit, and wh- why not? We'll just make it a rabbit holes episode, and what's the difference? Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting watching how things have changed. And you can maybe speak on this, too, because, like, when I was when I was younger and getting into tabletop RPGs and I, I you know, was coming out of D&D and getting into cyberpunk and couldn't find anybody to play it. I had no idea that there was a community. I knew that there was a market, for it, which was people that bought this game. But I didn't know there was a group of people that wanted to talk about it, wanted to collaborate on it, wanted to make content for it, all of that. And I think as we've come into a more easily, easily communicatable era, right? Well, the ubiquity of the internet and social media communications right. has changed that a lot. You know, like me in high school, and this was, I didn't get into gaming until I was in college. So uh, I, uh, maybe I'm not the most qualified to speak on it, but I want to say when I was in college in the mid nineties was kind of when the internet in the concept of bulletin boards, internet relay chat, and all those things was really starting to explode. And that's, I think, when your communities really started to grow. Because now it wasn't just you and your friends, and maybe if you were lucky, there was somebody else in your town, city, whatever, that you knew through your local game shop. You know, maybe you had, you know, two cyberpunk groups in in your town. Well, okay, and then... You know, there was, you know, we've heard Huli talk about it, like Dragon Magazine. Mm-hmm. Well, with the internet kind of coming of age and all these chat rooms and message boards and, you know, now Facebook, Reddit, you know, Twitter, Discord. Well, uh, I, I think the thing of it is now is that back in the 90s, and I, I was on, was barely on the internet in the 90s. I want to say 99 is when we first got our internet connected machine. But back then it wasn't, you had message boards, but only certain people knew about the bulletin boards, right? They weren't as, well, yeah, they weren't as easy to find. They weren't as, you, they weren't as ubiquitous with internet use, right? I think MySpace and Facebook changed that landscape immensely. And mm-hmm. from there, it's been nothing but uphill growth with, you know, ubiquity and, and ease of access and being able to contact anybody and everybody. Yeah. And I think that that has made the communities feel bigger. I don't know if it has made them bigger. It's just that they've been able to connect and sort of centralize 
And so it feels bigger because you're connected to more people. I wonder if it is a little bit, I, I, I honestly believe it is bigger now though, as far as a community and as far as creators, because things have changed. So, and, and the reason I say that is because if we think back, you know, you had a couple zine games, but that was very college level, right? Mm -hmm. You might see a game or two that came out in a, in a zine, right? But now we have little creators that are just, I made this thing. And with little creators coming out of the woodwork and a ton of players, it seems like, and it, this is my perception and I could be wrong. I, I don't have any solid numbers and it's really hard to quantify numbers for this, but it seems like that there are more players and more creators than there have ever been. I don't think you're wrong, but some of that is because of the ease of access to the communities. Oh yeah. The ease of distribution for creators, you know, it's just like, look, you used to have, you know, let's just say, you know, you had to publish a zine, you had to pay for ad space in a magazine or some other print medium, you yeah, know, or, where or now, you know, you had to put the work in at your college or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's more accessible both ways. Yeah. Now I open a word document. I start the thing. I make the thing. I have to share a little bit on my profits with drive through RPG, but I upload it to drive through and, and you know, boom game. Yeah. Blech. Itch, whatever, you know, it's yeah. Wherever I, wherever I put it, if I want to upload it to, if I uploaded it to Facebook, I could share it for free, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can do that. You know, hosting on Google drive, yeah. You know, which I mean, there's, there's some stuff out there that that's legitimately, you know, the, um, the RPG safety toolkit is shared through a Google drive link. Um, yeah. I found some other reasonably well-known, uh, conversion documents that that's where they live is in a Google drive. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's something that you just couldn't do before or couldn't do easily. Let's put it that way. And we're now, yeah, you know, it's it's easy to do. But I think this kind of actually, I think I can tie this back into where we were going when we started this all off, because with that, you know, ease of distribution, the, what do you want to say, more brought together communities because of ease of connectivity, whatever you want to call it, you know, there is a lot more stuff out there. And there's people who may have already tried to mash the two things together that you're trying to mash together that you can go, you know, and ask, hey, you know, how did you do this? Did anyone try this? How did you do it? Well, I think one of the things is, and, and this is true with like the prevalence of roll 20, right? Nine times out of 10, if you're looking for something and it's not 10 times out of 10, it's nine because <laughs> I've run into a couple situations looking for stuff and haven't been able to find anything, but nine times out of 10, if you're looking for something that's fairly well known, it's just there. Somebody else has already put the work in it's ready to go. Mm -hmm. And, and that happens a lot, especially like I said, with roll 20 stuff, right? Like character sheets or dice or, you know, Genesis conversions were roll 20 and all this fun stuff that I don't have the energy, the interest or the knowledge to put in to make that I could just grab off the internet, slot into my game and go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, I don't know. The thing is, is I like weird mash together stuff. That's part mm -hmm. of the thing that attracts me to this hobby is the fact that you can put, you know, strange things together and make it work. 
we're both fans of what I'll call Mad Max post-apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. And that is the essence of, well, I, I took a, a bottle from over here and I took some chain from over there and I made a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's this, it's the DIY smash together, um, quick, dirty punk rock style of tabletop RPGs, sort of like what we were talking about with, um, Wiz and Alex. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the punk rock, you know, feeling it's, that's what we enjoy. See, I would even say, you know, and I appreciate the punk rock element of it, but it's almost more of a it's a do it with what you have mentality. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, yeah. because like, you know, I grew up and I know you grew up rural, but I grew up very rural, you know, and my, both sides of my family are very much the, well, I need this thing. So I've got a, this and a, that, and this other thing, and I can make the thing I need out of these four things that I have laying around. This plus this plus that equals one of those. <laughs> Even though, you know, nobody else sees it that way. Yeah. No, I trust me. I <laughs> the number of projects me and my dad started with a hope and a prayer and a couple pieces of metal. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and that's, I look, I've, I'll admit, I'm a compulsive scavenger junk hound. Mm-hmm. I have a garage half full of bits and pieces of who knows what. And some of them were collected with the idea of a given project. And some of them were just, Oh, that's a neat shape. Maybe I can do something with that. How many things? How many things? <laughs> I had to do it the other day. I had to change some doorknobs on the house. Mm-hmm. And I'm like looking at pieces that I have in my hands. And I'm like, I will never use these again. But I'm going to keep them because they might come in handy someday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How many things have you done that with? Oh, gosh. I don't even want to think about that. That's entirely too long of a list. Yeah. And, and I have, luckily, luckily, my girlfriend, she keeps me honest. She's like, you are never going to use that throw it away. Like, I can't, I can't throw it away. I'm going to use it someday. And she's like, she'll just up and throw it out. Like <laughs> sometimes but, you need that. Yeah. But you know, I think that's, like I said, that's part of what I love about RPGs is that you can, you know, you can make a peanut butter jalapeno and mustard sandwich. I'm not saying I want to try, you know, that specific concoction, but maybe in an RPG it works. Yeah, maybe uh, I, I, any number of things, you know, but you know, I've, I've said before, I think I've mentioned it on the show. I know I've mentioned it to you. I have this idea rolling around in the back of my head and unfortunately, you know, real world events currently make it a little, maybe not the right time to do this, but I've had this idea to kind of mash together Nicholas Cage's Lord of War, Curse of Strahd and Knight's Black Agents. Mm-hmm. And I haven't put the work in to really, really, really read Curse of Strahd to figure out how to fit that element in. Well, you got to figure out which version you want to read. Well, yeah, that too. Uh, <laughs> but like the ideas, I think, can mesh together, you know, because in my mind, you've got sort of this, you know, this triangle, right? Where you can tie like Lord of War and Knights Black Agents together as, you know, part of their whole conspiramid type thing, right? You know, arms dealer, whatever, you know, criminal organization, etc. And then you can tie 
Curse of Strahd indicts black agents together because of vampires. Yeah. Conspiramid. <laughs> okay. I've never heard Conspiramid before. It's, it's actually, they in, in Knights Black Agents, they have you set up this hierarchy of your bad guys, and they call it a Conspiramid. Because oh, nice. you have, think of it as... as yeah, no, it's as I a tri- you know, on your, at your base, you have your your street level flunkies, and then above them, you know, your and, and so on and so forth. But then, to me, you also between Curse of Strahd and Lord of War, you can draw the line with you know him breaking up with his his wife, leaving him, or losing his brother. You can take either of those or both of them and combine that into the Strahd side. No. Strahd as Strahd played by Nicolas Cage is a hilarious thought. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, like in my head, I can connect them all together semi-coherently. Now, whether I can translate that, <laughs> I can see the strings, whether I can translate that to an effective campaign is yeah. entirely another, because then I have to deal with the intention span that doesn't exist right here. Yeah. <laughs> it starts in one ear and ends in the other. So, yeah, and I have a big head, but it's not that big. <laughs> no, I, I trust me, I know. And, you know, the joke's always that no campaign survives first contact with players. But in my case, it doesn't survive first contact with me. Yeah, well, sometimes that's the case. And sometimes that means that I take that as an omen. I take that to mean that, well, I guess I just didn't want to run this type of game. Yeah. Um, Like, as cool as I thought that idea was, I just, like, I was not or could not mentally run that type of game. And I've done that multiple times. I had to do that in the, I had a plan of running sort of a bigger super uh, supers type game out of our mutant city blues game. And it turned into a smaller crime level thing. Mm -hmm. So I I'm used like to me, that's just something that happens soon as I sit down, I'm 100% ready to throw out everything I have written for a game and just go, well, what's, what's the fun? Where's the fun here? Yeah, well, I think that's, that's an important point to make in talking about, you know, porting these modules or whatever over to another system is that for you and I, because we're both admittedly very improv-intensive GMs, I think is a good way to say it, Yeah, that for us, we're probably just going to take a basic kind of idea framework and just go, okay, here we go. Let's see what happens. If you're yeah. the type of person who needs or wants a much more intensive prep, then I think, you know, where I would go is, okay, you know, I've got these monsters or these bad guys or whatever in this this module that I want to port over. And the stats don't exist for those creatures. Excuse me. Uh, the stats don't exist for those creatures in this game that I want to run it in. So for me at that point, then again, because of, you know, the way my brain works, I look at what can I use as a common reference point to go, okay, you know, for example, let's say, you know, we're, we're taking something from D and D and converting it to something else. So we know that, you know, your average human has stats in the range of 10 to 12 in your classic D classic D and D stat structure. So then we look at, or I would look at what are your average human stats in whatever this other game is that you want to run it in. And if your stats are say average, and I'm just making this up 15 to 17. Okay. So we know 
that stats are roughly 150% of what they are in D&D, give or take. You know, it's going to take some fiddling to figure it out exactly. You know, you can do the same thing with hit point totals, you know, damage, etc. You kind of just need to look at it because most of your systems are designed with at least some eye to balance. So if, you know, you, you just have to find a reference point and work from that. Like, yeah, I think the, I, I'll say this and, and this is a jab at Chris and Hooli, but I think the forges ruined me on stuff like that <laughs> because now rather than like, I used to sit and be like, Oh, I got to sit down and strat, stat out this monster that doesn't exist. Now I just look and go, those strats are close enough to what I want. I'll just rename that thing. Well, that's the other big thing, right? Reskin it, rename it, whatever. You know, that's that's the other thing that you can find something that, that appears to be of comparable challenge level. And I'm not saying that in, in a numeric thing, but, you know, something in, in the system that you're going to that is supposed to make the characters as a, appropriately as scared, let's say, or, or challenged, and then just, you know, reskin it. I mean, why do the work to make it up new when you can just put a new hat on it? Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, that's true most of the time. I think sometimes you really need to, like, sometimes it, it doesn't hurt to put the work in. Yeah, no, and I think Genesis is also a system that is fairly easy to do that in you know, more so than, than other, what do you want to say? More statistically crunchy systems. I don't know how true that is. And let me defend my point on that. So something like D and D, which I mean, that's arguably a more statistically crunchy game, mm-hmm. right? Something like D and D going through the monster manual, changing the fluff, changing the name of tax and changing the name of creatures is actually kind of easy. Yes. But, what I'm saying is, is it's going to be easier to, okay, here, here's, here's where I'll do this or, or kind of try to make an example here. We've both talked about, we would love to play in an RPG setting for Into the Badlands. Right. I think it'd be a whole lot easier to build that setting in Genesis than to build it in Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, but also I would, how do I put this? I think you, okay. Yes. I see what you're saying. You know, in that, because to, to make that idea work in Dungeons and Dragons, we have to come up with concrete statistics for all this weird crap that happens. Well, and then you're also, uh, yeah. Where in Genesis, we say they can do this, with this many advantage and it happens. Yeah. You yeah. Make it's a, a couple talents, wavy. but that's because of the focus of the system where dungeons and dragons is built around much more built around tactical combat, where Genesis is built around cinematic emulation. Right. And I think you could even do that even better. If you found a game that was built around Hong Kong wire movies, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like, like Feng Shui. Or Feng Shui, or however it's supposed to be pronounced. Yeah, I'm not I think sure. it's it's a little too comedy, but yeah, I could I could see that. Or we picked up that Punk Fu a while ago. I think it might do it well. Or there's any number of other systems, but yeah, I agree. I understand what you're saying, but I think 
it goes back to a lot of the find a system that works with you to do what you want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. If you want to tell a cowboy story and you want to use Genesis, I would argue, don't use Genesis, use Star Wars. I can see where you're going. Right. Yes. And no, because I think if you don't mind me diverting onto this little tangent here, this is where the difference between the talent trees of Star Wars and the talent pyramid of Genesis comes into play. And that being that in Genesis, the talent pyramid and it being free form is so that you can emulate what it is you're trying to emulate. Where with Star Wars, they're trying to help you emulate what you've seen in the movies. And that's why there are specific trees, yes. you know, and the talents are gated behind other talents because you want to play a Han Solo analog right. you know, or, or whatever. And in Genesis, because they built it as a generic system in its design, it doesn't know what you're trying to do where Star Wars does. Yes. But also I think that Star Wars works a little bit better for that because a lot of the Star Wars stories are just cowboy stories. I'm not arguing that. I also have had the idea and, and you'll see that, look, I want to play Dukes of Hazard in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And it fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it Well, let me ask you this. How do you feel about um how do you feel about playing Smokey and the Bandit in original Star Trek? I'm not the biggest Trekkie. I know, but or any other generic 70s game or any other generic 70s sci-fi show, right? Battlestar Galactica. I think it could work. Yeah. And and here's, okay, tell me if you think I'm crazy when I say this. There's a lot of Smokey and the Bandit in Spaceballs. There's a good bit, yeah. You know what I mean? More so than Star Wars. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I I, I, I I can see that. But what I'm getting at, what I'm driving at is, uh, yeah, no, the, you talking about wanting to play, <laughs> wanting to play uh, uh, Dukes of Hazard in, in or is that what you just said? Yeah, Dukes of Hazard in in Star Wars because that's mm-hmm. it's it's your classic. I mean, that's what Han Solo and Chewie are. Oh yeah, they're just they're like just it's smugglers. the same same thing. It's just a different scale. But run it off Tatooine, make <laughs> make Uncle Owen like make Uncle Owen like Uncle Jesse. But you know what I'm saying, like, and, yeah. and that's kind of what we're talking about. Is right, you you find the thing in your world that tells the story your module is trying to tell. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm still hung up on Dukes of Hazard, Star Wars. It's like in my head, I just created this, well, like but, my own canon where like Owen and Baru hadn't died. Owen's running like well, but okay. bikes across the galaxy. Tell me Luke and Han. Tell me that the, and I can't think of the character's name, the, the woman that runs the starport and the starship repair on Tatooine in the Mandalorian. Oh yeah. How is she not a perfect analog for, for Cooter. Uh, Cooter? Yeah, no, she is. She, she absolutely is. Um, yeah, no, that's fun. That's fun. You know well, what I mean? And, and like, not everybody's going to see those connections, but no, but when you see them and you're like, ah, ha, 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 ha. but this is where, and to, to tie in one of our tangents, this is where the communities play in, right? Because you go to this community and you say, hey, is anyone ever this? And someone goes, oh, yeah, you could use a character like like we just said, you know, the the starship lady from 
the Mandalorian is a lot like the crazy, you know, small town redneck mechanic. Mm-hmm. So, okay, now we've got some synergy going. And then you start, you know, like you said, building this and that and, yeah, you know, well, Jabba's boss hog. and <laughs> That puts, that makes Boba Fett freaking <laughs> Buford. Now you're crossing them. No, not Buford. Um, Roscoe? Boba Fett. Uh, yeah, Roscoe. Yeah, see, he's he's more competent than that. Yeah, exactly. See, okay, tangent. They cast Roscoe completely wrong in the what was it now? Fifteen years ago when they did the D- Duke's movie. I think I, I, everybody was cast wrong in the Duke's movie. The only person that was cast right was uh, Jessica Simpson. <laughs> and uh, who did they have playing Uncle Jesse? They had somebody Willie. Yeah, they had Willie play and Uncle Jesse, and those were the only two that were fine. Everybody <laughs> else was wrong. Yeah. Like, as much as I, I enjoy me some Johnny Knoxville, no. I was... think, and and not as he portrayed the character, I think, um, was it Burt guy. Reynolds that played Boss Hogg? Yeah. He could have played a much better Roscoe, in my mind. Sure. Uh, I think if the movie would have been made maybe 10 years prior. Probably. I, I, at that point, Reynolds is kind of he was on his way out. Also, if yeah. you want to watch a fantastic Burt Reynolds movie that's going to make you cry, um, let me look it up. I think it's called The Last Action Star. Okay, it was the last movie he made. Look that up. Let me. Sorry, yeah, no problem. The last actor or the last movie star is what it was called. Okay, it came out in 20, 2017 and it was the last movie he made before he passed, and it is fantastic. Cool. I watched it again recently. I, this was this this has been your movie minute <laughs> with me and Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, again, it ties into all the, the mashing stuff together. And but I think you know, if I were to summarize my thoughts on doing it, I think one understand it the 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 module you want to pour in as far as what the story's telling and and what it is that you want to bring to your game, and then find the touch points that you can nail down easily and then work your way out from there. And I would say, again, this coming from me as a much more improv dependent style of GM, don't get too bogged down in working out every detail because then you're going to be disappointed or at least the way my brain works. If I go into the work of planning out all these details, then I end up disappointed when I don't get to use them. And I yeah. think that robs enjoyment from me. You know, I, I, I rob my own enjoyment of the game because I'm seeing all the little cool stuff or the stuff that I thought was really cool that I didn't get to use. And I feel like I let people down by not showing them these things where in reality, nobody misses anything they didn't see. Right. You know, and, and yeah. you know, to where we, like we were talking about in the GM anxiety episode we did with Amber, you know, you're your own worst critic. And as GMs, I think so many times we, we focus on what our ideal thing was and we compare it to that as opposed to the players who just went, oh, that was really freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of words and my brain is kind of fried at this point. So. We are thesaurusizing. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move into Game of the Week. Woohoo! Game of the Week. Game of the Week. 
game of the week. All right. You going first or am I going first? Uh, well, you want to go first? Ah, sure. Why not? I can do that. So, uh, my game of the week this week isn't, well, isn't really a game at all. It is, however, a gaming supplement. And I picked this out before we decided on the topic, but it neatly ties into that. My game of the week is a book, if you will, called Twisted Genome Wasteland Mutations. It is, what it actually is, is it's kind of an OSR post-apocalyptic supplement. And it is basically, I think, descriptions, probably tables, because OSR likes tables. Um, Can you link me? Yeah, hang on just a second here. Twisted Genomes Wasteland Mutations provides over 400 new mutations for your mutant future game. Physical mutations, plant mutations, mental mutations. You know, it's got illustrations, notes, simple guidelines. You know, it's, you know, I could see using this in, you know, uh, Year Zero. Um, you know, what, what was the one? Uh, Neon Lords of the Atomic Waste or whatever that's toxic. Or, anyway, that yeah, one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> um, um, atomic highways, you know, any number of, of post-apocalyptic games you could even use this for designing monsters for not at all sci-fi or post-apocalyptic games. Think about, you know, we've been talking about star Wars a lot recently, all the weird plants and critters that abound in the corners of the galaxies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, like I said, this is, and, and if you just want the PDF, it's going to set you back all of $3. Yeah, um, $2.99. Not bad. Yeah. You know, they do have print on demand. Um, at that point you're looking at about $23 if you want the PDF and the book. Yeah. So I mean, like I said, I for bad. three dollars for a PDF for inspiration, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Um, it's written by a guy named Derek Holland. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, but yeah, again, so that's twisted genomes, colon wasteland mutation. All right. My game of the week is a game called Dwelling. Okay. Uh, it is a, to best of my knowledge, it's a, a, it's a game, it's a single player RPG, sort of to my understanding. Okay. Where you take the role of the embodied narrator, you wander through a new strange home at night, conjuring specters and finding they summon parts of your past along with them. Read, write, and draw in this curated, solitary experience of sleepless nights in a haunted house. I thought that sounded really cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's one of those terms that calls up way too many things in the search engine. Yep, gotcha. Hibuski. Aha. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just a, it's just a nice little, you know, it's 15 bucks for the PDF, so it's probably a pretty substantial single player or solo RPG. 100 pages. Yeah. And, and it just seems like a cool, weird, fun thing to check out. Like, if you're into haunted houses, this might be a fun, twisted adventure. And, you know, just because this is how I see things, you could also use this to create a, a house for, you know, your Call of Cthulhu game or any other Theoretically, game. Theoretically, you... I, I, yeah, I don't know how, um, I don't want to speak to that fully yet, not really knowing how replayable this is that's true that's true because if it's because some things it's like a genie once it's out of the bottle it's it's done yeah Um, but like i said could be interesting uh something to check out something that looks kind of neat kind of uh you know if you're if you're in for a spooky time it might be a spooky time for you 
Yeah, it does look pretty cool, though. But with all that being said, as always, links to everything are in the show notes. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, Discord, uh, Twitch, everywhere, anywhere podcasts can be found. Again, as a reminder, we're going to keep harping on this. If you're in the Pittsburgh area or willing to drive to the Pittsburgh, drive, fly, whatever, to the Pittsburgh area, the Pittsburgh Gaming Expo, October 1st and 2nd, me and Steve will be there. We are running games. You need to pick your game still. Yes, I got to fill out the thing. (laughs) But with all that being said, we want to thank everyone for listening and anybody that was watching this episode and remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Okay. Bots are present and uh, accounted for. Robots. Robot, robot, robots. We have two robots. Two robots. Two robots. Two robots. Two ribbits. Two ribbits? Two, two rabbits? Ribbits. What? Oh no, I broke it. <laughs> you broke it? What did you break? It caused the whole thing to just just die. Oh, oh, there we go. All right, woohoo! It is unbroken now. Yeah, it is mostly unbroken. Mostly unbroken. Mostly unbroken is acceptable, I think. At least in this case. Test, 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 test. Aha! Son of a bitch! I got you. I can hear you. By the way, folks, um, if you're curious about us in streaming, let me uh, mute my phone while I'm at it. Um. <laughs> we'll edit this out. Don't worry. You won't okay. hear this on the. You won't hear this on the uh, actual, on the actual podcast.